0: following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. to see those of you who are here in the room with us. We know there's a bunch of you that are joining us online this morning, so we're glad that you're here with us as well. We're starting a new series called More of You, and we're going to be diving in in just a minute to a beloved passage in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, grab it and let's go to Romans chapter 12. But as we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question, a question that I've been thinking about wrestling with this week, and that is, who are you when you're at your best, right? When you are... Most healthy and, and strong, when you, when you feel fully alive, um, when you are at your best. Who are you when you're at your best? Who is the me that you so deeply want to be? I, I was thinking about that some this week, and for me, I jotted some notes in my journal. For me, it's engaged and not passive, it's present and not distracted. It's calm, not anxious. It's trusting, not fearful. It's intimate, not distant. It's kind, not self consumed. It's characterized by healthy patterns in my life, not unhealthy escapes. Those are some of the things that, that came to my mind, the, the me that I want to be, the, the, the me at my best. And yet, if I'm really being honest, I have to recognize that far more often than I would like, my life, my days are characterized more by those second words than by the first. That, that far more often than I would like, my life, my leadership, my marriage, My parenting is more characterized by passive, distracted, anxious, fearful, distant, self consumed, characterized not by healthy patterns but by unhealthy escapes. And as much as it feels sort of vulnerable to stand up here in front of all of you and say that, my guess is I'm not alone. The sense that I have is that for many of us, for all of us, there is a gap that persists. A gap that persists between the way that I live my life and the way that I want to live my life, the the, the me that I am and the me that I want to be, the, the, the way that I live each and every day and that version of myself, that best version of myself that I so long to become. There's a gap between the me I am and the me that I want to be. That gap persists in my day in and day out. And of course, as Annie Dillard has said, the way we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. And so here's what I think we need to embrace. And And it sounds, frankly, it sounds sort of trite to say this in church. And yet it is profoundly true. And that is that the me that I want to be, the best version of me, is me when I'm more like Jesus. You see, Jesus lived the kind of life, the fully human life, showing us what fully human life looks like. Jesus wasn't passive, wasn't distractive, wasn't anxious, wasn't fearful, wasn't distant, wasn't self-consumed, wasn't prone to unhealthy escapes. Jesus was engaged, present, calm, trusting, intimate, kind, and characterized by healthy patterns in his own life. That Jesus was fully God and fully human. And we needed him to be fully God and fully human to to have that divine and human mediator between us and God. And yet, not only our affirmation of Jesus being fully human is that we had a fully human mediator between us and God, but also one who shows us what a fully human life is. Looks like. And as my life becomes more like His, I become more the me that I want to be. As I become more like Jesus, I become more my true self. And friends, this is God's desire for each and every one of us. The, the, The God's desire for all of us, first of all, is for us to come into relationship with Him through faith in Jesus by trusting in what Christ has done on our behalf through his cross and resurrection, that we would come into relationship with God by trusting in what Christ has done. But once we have trusted in Christ for our salvation, God's agenda for each and every one of us is to make us more and more like the one who has saved us. This morning, we are launching this new series, More of You, and we're calling it that because there's kind of a double meaning to that little phrase, more of you. On the one hand, it points to the the deep longing of our hearts that say, Jesus, I want More of you. I I want more of you in my life. I want more of your heart. I want more of your character. I, I want more of you in my life. But there's also a second sense of that. And the second sense of that phrase is just the recognition that He only, that we only get more of Him as He gets more of you. You only get more of Him as He gets more of you, as you yield your life him more fully, as you give to him your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, as you give to him your your wounds, your shame, your addictions, as you give to him your, your time, your attention, your affections, your allegiance, that we want more of him in our lives, but you only get more of him as he gets more. Of you. And so, this is a series that's all about the idea of spiritual formation. This process of our becoming more and more like the one who has saved us. This morning, as we kick off this series, I want to give you a definition, a passage, and a model. And as the series continues to progress, we're going to talk about practices in our lives, practices that we engage as part of this process of spiritual formation. But we've got to begin from the first place of saying, well, what do we mean when we talk about spiritual formation? What is it that we are after in this process? So I want to give you a definition. I want to point you to a passage that that really captures the heart of the New Testament teaching on spiritual formation. And that I think reveals to us a kind of model for understanding of how this change really takes place in our lives. So first of all, a definition. It's a definition that we're gonna to continue to come back to throughout the remainder of this series. There's a whole lot of different definitions out there. I used to have my students in class wrestle with about a dozen of them and compare and contrast different definitions of spiritual formation. This one isn't a be-all, end-all, but it's a simple definition that we'll continue to come back to throughout this series. And that definition is this. Spiritual formation is a process of deep Interchange whereby we become more like Jesus and therefore more like your true self, right? Spiritual formation is a process of deep interchange whereby you become more like Jesus and therefore more like your true self. I, I want us to, to just re- rehearse that together, to repeat that together as a way of kind of reminding our hearts what we're after and we'll continue to come back to throughout this series. So will you read that off the screen with me? Spiritual formation is a process of deep interchange whereby you become more like Jesus and therefore more like your true self. As we become more like Christ, we become more the person that God has made us to be, which is the person that we really long to become. The passage that we're gonna look at that that gives us, I think, the heart of the New Testament teaching on spiritual formation is found in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. So if you have a Bible, let's look at that passage together. Paul's writing to the church in Rome and, and he has uh, offered them this incredibly rich theology for the, through the first 11 chapters of the book. And now here in chapter 12, there's a shift to the kind of practical application for everything that he said before. And he says this, therefore, right? In light of everything that I've said up to now, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I believe that in the space of just these two little verses, Paul gives us the heart of what spiritual formation is all about. And so I want to unpack with you a kind of model, a, a way for us to understand how this kind of deep change takes place in our lives. Because the Bible expects real, deep, and lasting change. And I think we long for real and deep and lasting change. But I think that if we're honest, we often don't experience that kind of real and deep and lasting change. So part of that is understanding how does this work. And and I think that embedded in these two little verses, we find this model. The Spirit changes us as we embrace Jesus' vision of reality, engage in formative embodied practices in the context of authentic community. A simple little model for understanding how this transformation takes place. The Spirit changes us as we embrace Jesus' vision of reality, engage in formative embodied practices in the context of authentic community. And I want to just spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking each of those phrases in that little model. And it begins with the recognition the Spirit changes us. You say, well, where does it say that in the passage, Barry? Well, I think the the center of this passage, the central sort of admonition here is found in these two little words be transformed. Be transformed. The word that's translated transform is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. It is this idea of real and deep and lasting change. It's the process that a, a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly, a real and deep and lasting change. And yet, it's important to note what Paul says. Paul says, does not say change, he says be changed. There's a big difference, right? Big difference between change and be changed. Uh, Maybe a way to clarify, um, you think about this. I talked to you guys uh, three weeks ago when I was up here that I just, the previous night, I just had flown in from Denver. I flew in the night before and was up here preaching. Except when I stood up here in front of you and said, last night I flew in from Denver, I lied to you. Because the fact of the matter is, I can't fly. Right? I can't stand there and, and do my arms hard enough to, to ever get up off the ground. And not only can I not generate enough with my arms, I can't sit behind the, the instruments in the cockpit of a plane and fly the plane. I can't fly. I can be flown. And so it would have been more truthful of me to stand up here and say, last night I was flown home from Denver. Right, A big difference between fly and be flown. A big difference between change and be changed. I can't change myself. At the heart of this understanding is I can't transform myself. No matter how much I want to make myself that best version of me, that that version of me that I really want to be, I can't fix myself. I can't transform myself, and, and in part, this process actually begins with the reality of that recognition. Our friends in twelve-step process—it begins with the recognition. My life's become unmanageable. I can't fix it on my own. Th- that we have to recognize: I can't transform myself. I have to allow myself to be transformed. Now, Paul doesn't make explicit that the agent of that transformation is the Holy Spirit in this particular passage. But that's what we find in the rest of the New Testament. One place that you see it is Paul's teaching uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul's talking about when Moses came down off the mountain and Moses wore a veil over his face. And then Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, metamorpho. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul makes it explicitly clear in 2 Corinthians 3 that the agent of transformation is the Spirit of God, that we can't transform ourselves. All we can do is allow ourselves to be transformed by the presence and the power of the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to do what only... He can do. This process of transformation begins with a recognition of our own fundamental inadequacy and our desperate need for the Spirit to do what only He can do. That our job is to allow ourselves to be transformed. Now, it's very important that we clarify this is not a merely passive process, right? It's not just let go and let God and, and well, if I'm not changed, that seems to be the Spirit's problem, right? No. There is a part for us to play. I love the way that. Uh, the, the African Bishop of the fifth century, Saint Augustine, captured this. He says, "Without him, we cannot. Without us, he will not. Isn't that good? Right? With without him, we cannot. We can't transform ourselves. But without us, he will not." That that that. That it's not as though he will take initiative and know that we have to allow ourselves to be transformed. This process of spiritual formation is, first of all, the spirit that changes us. Second, the spirit changes us as we embrace Jesus' vision of reality. How does this take place? Well, Paul talks about it here. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That part of this transformation is a, a deep change in your mind. A renewing of your mind. I'm, I'm listening right now. I'm reading uh, this book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. It's a great book um, about halfway through. And in there, he talks about the idea that our problem isn't so much that we tell lies. It's that we live them. That we believe And therefore live in light of things that are untrue. He talks about this idea that we make our way in the world by mental maps. Mental maps. And you can think about it. I have a mental map for how I get from my home to my office here at IBC. So I make my way in the world by this mental map. And as long as my mental map corresponds with reality, then I get to where I'm going just fine. right? But if my mental map doesn't correspond to reality... Then I wind up hopelessly lost. And the idea is that all of us have these mental maps. We have these mental maps for our sexuality, we have mental maps for our relationships, we have mental maps for our finances. And these mental maps we think will take us where we wanna go, that we think they will take us to happiness and to flourishing. And if our mental maps correspond with the reality, they will, but if not, we get lost. And we live lies. This goes all the way back to uh, the story of the garden. You go all the way back to the beginning. when, When sin enters the biblical story, you have this scene where the serpent, the crafty serpent, comes to Eve and entices her to eat this forbidden fruit. And the whole thing that happens there is that she believes and lives a lie. And that teaches us something about the very nature of sin. That we sin when we believe lies and then live by it. We think this will make me happy. This will satisfy me. The serpent deceives her and says, you'll not certainly die. God is holding out on you. There's a better way for you to find happiness and fulfillment. And she believes and lives the lie. We've been living lies ever since. Not long ago, I sat across the table from a friend who told me that he was leaving his wife, getting a divorce, because he had met his soulmate, and it wasn't her. And he believed this was going to be the thing that made him happy. This was going to be the thing that brought his life fulfillment. And he lived that lie. And not only did his decision not give him what he ultimately thought that it would, it didn't ultimately satisfy him and lead to his flourishing, but left all kinds of pain and heartache in its wake. We live lies. I love the way Thomas Merton has captured this when he says, we're not very good at recognizing illusions. Least of all, the ones we cherish about ourselves. We live lies about what we think will make us happy, satisfy us. And so where does this transformation begin? It begins with the renewing of our minds. It begins with purging the lies that we've chosen to believe and to live by and embrace Jesus' vision of reality. Because Jesus' vision of reality corresponds to reality. This process of deep change is the change that's brought about by the Holy Spirit. It's the change that begins with embracing Jesus' vision of reality, but merely thinking differently is not enough, right? Merely thinking differently is not enough. Spiritual formation begins with the renewal of our minds when we embrace Jesus' vision of reality, but it's not enough just to know the right things. I spent 10 years. In graduate theological education. Five years working on a master's degree. Five years working on a PhD. Ten years in graduate level theological education. And then I spent another 15 years teaching in graduate level theological education. 25 years of my life spent in and around graduate level teaching Bible and theology. If merely knowing stuff made you holy, I'd be way more holy than I actually am. But after 25 years of my life... In and around graduate level theological education, I'm still a bit of a mess. That's because merely knowing the right things is not enough. Paul talks here about this transformation, and he says this transformation happens in our lives as we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The imagery that Paul is using it draws on uh, imagery from the Old Testament. The, the people of Israel or people familiar with the Old Testament would have resonated with this idea of offering a sacrifice. That, that people would bring a sacrifice to God, offer it on the altar. But the thing was, before they offered that animal on the altar, the animal would be killed, drained of its blood. The, the, the animal wasn't going anywhere once it was placed on the altar. As has been observed, the, that's a big difference with a living sacrifice. That we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, but the problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to squirm off the altar. And we do that so often in our lives. And yet the idea is that we continue to come and bring ourselves, offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And Paul specifically says, offer our bodies. That's why I've said that this process takes place as we engage in embodied practices. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to talk about those practices. Those practices that were characteristic of the life of Jesus that are part of the way in which the spirit forms us. But it's through these habitual embodied practices that we experience this transformation. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I am a coffee person. I love coffee. And I'm talking, I love coffee like strong and black, no cream, no sugar. Thank you very much. I'm a coffee person. Right, anybody else in the room coffee people? Yeah, okay, a few of you coffee people. Um, and I'm not talking about coffee adjacent people. right? If you were excited about the return of the pumpkin spice latte, I'm sorry to break it to you. You were a coffee adjacent person. <laughs> Right? The pumpkin spice latte is a uh, coffee-adjacent liquid dessert. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get emails, I'm sure, this week, but I'm, I'm a pastor. I, just, I love you enough not to tell you the truth. Right? You're living a lie. Right? I'm a coffee person. I like my coffee strong. I like my coffee black. No cream, no sugar. Thank you very much. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't always a coffee person. Right? No, nobody is born a coffee person. Right? Coffee, as we say, an acquired taste, and so I started acquiring the taste for coffee when I was just a little boy. That when I was a little boy, I'd go visit my grandparents, and my grandmother would make me coffee milk. It was uh, a hot milk with a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of sugar. In 1979, we didn't know to call that a latte, but I guess that's what it was. Right? <laughs> And I loved it as a kid. And, and then when I got to college, I started drinking coffee. I'd, you know, have to stay up late to study. So I'm, um, I'm having coffee with a lot of milk and, and quite a bit of sugar. And then over time, the, the sugar started to dial back. And then the milk started to dial back. And now I don't want cream or sugar anywhere near my coffee. Thank you very much. I'm a coffee person, but coffee people, they acquire the taste over time by continuing to show up. Day after day, offering myself to my cup of coffee. And through that embodied habitual practice plus time, I am transformed. So I don't have to to, um, choose to be a coffee person. I don't even have to think about being a coffee person. I just am a coffee person. Right? Embodied practice plus time equals transformation. And God does his transformation in our lives. As we offer our bodies, engage in these bodily practices that transform us. Because you see, loving your enemy, it's an acquired taste. It's not something that comes naturally for any of us. Embracing and living Jesus' vision of reality for our sexuality, for our relationships, for our finances. They're all an acquired taste. None of them come to us naturally but they are formed and shaped in us over time. So we continue to show up and offer our bodies as living sacrifice, offer ourselves to God, saying, God, I'm here, have your way in this area of my life. But here's the question that I think that we all have to wrestle with. And that is who or what are we offering ourselves to? Paul captures this same idea of offering ourselves in Romans chapter six, verse 13. And in Romans six thirteen, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That the kind of formation that we're experiencing is all about who or what we're offering ourselves to. Because Paul says here that you are experiencing formation. One way or the other, he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says, you're either being conformed or you're being transformed. It's all about who or what are you offering yourself to? Who or what are you giving your time, your attention, your affection, your devotion We often show up and give our time, attention, affection, devotion to various expressions of media, news, television, films. Those are all seeking to shape us. Our political allegiances oftentimes get our attention, our devotion, our affection. On and on the list could go of things that we present ourselves to. More so than bringing ourselves to God, we we offer ourselves to the things of this world and we are conformed, Paul says, to the patterns of this world. But he says, no, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by embracing Jesus' vision of reality. Who or what are you offering yourself to? And then finally, this process is the spirit changing us as we embrace Jesus' vision of reality, engage in formative embodied practice in the context of, Of authentic community. And you go Barry. Where do you see that in the passage? Well did you catch right at the very beginning. Paul says therefore I urge you. Brothers and sisters. And it shows up so frequently. In the New Testament. That we easily just read past this little phrase. Brothers and sisters. And yet for Paul. This was a really big deal. Therefore, Paul, he wanted these followers of Jesus to embrace this vision of reality that says Jesus is forming a new family, a new family that's not based on, on blood ties or ethnicity, but a new multi-ethnic family of brothers and sisters who live together in authentic community. And in fact, the remainder of the chapter in chapter 12 is all about how to live together in community. Because this transformation that God wants to do in our lives happens in the context of authentic community with brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, one of my favorite ministries here at Irving Bible Church is not one of our flashiest ministries. It's not one of our most well-attended ministries, but it's a ministry where God is doing some deep work in people's lives. That's Thursday night in our recovery ministry. Recovery is made up of people who... Our strugglers, just like you and me, their struggles aren't different than our struggles. They're just people who've had the courage to say, I'm struggling, and to show up with one another for a community of fellow strugglers. And I wonder for you, what is that area of your life, that area of your character that you would most deeply desire to see change That area of your life that you most consistently struggle with. Can I just suggest to you that I don't really believe that you're going to experience change in that struggle until you find yourself in the midst of a community of fellow strugglers. People that you can just be honest and vulnerable with about where you're struggling But it's in that kind of authentic community that the spirit of God does his work, transforming our lives. Friends, who are you when you're at your best? When you're at your best, it's when you're more like Jesus. When you're more like Jesus, you become more fully who God's made you to be. You become more your true self. And this is the longing that I believe each of us have to close that gap between the me I am and the me that I want to be. That process happens by the Spirit of God working our lives. Us saying, I can't do it myself. I need you. Allowing the Spirit to do what only he can do. Experiencing the the renewal of our minds. Embracing Jesus' vision of reality and seeking to live in accord with that. To engage in our bodies in these formative practices by which we say, God, here I am. Have your way. And we do that together in vulnerable, authentic community. As a way of applying this message this week, can I just suggest to you that that little prayer become a prayer that you pray throughout your week. That little prayer that simply says, God, here I am, have your way. That as you begin your day this week, that you would just say, God, here I am. I'm offering myself to you again as a living sacrifice. God, here I am, have your way. As you go into that hard meeting, have that conversation that you would just present yourself again. God, here I am, have your way. And as we go throughout our days and our weeks, that we would continue to offer ourselves to God, asking him to do what only he can do to bring this real, deep, lasting transformation in our lives. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.